0: Welcome to the MarTech
1: Podcast. Today we're going to talk about ways to use data as the landscape of data changes rapidly. Joining us is Quimby Melton, who is the CEO and co-founder of Confection, which collects, stores, and distributes data in a way that's unaffected by client-side disruptions involving cookies, cross-domain scripts, and device IDs. It's also compliant with global privacy laws, so hey, it's good for people too. And today, Quimby and I are going to discuss avoiding the third-party cookie graveyard. All right, here's my conversation with Quimby Melton, the CEO and co-founder of Confection.
2: Quimby, welcome to the MarTech podcast. Thank you, Ben. Thanks so much for having me and giving me an opportunity to chat about these important issues with your audience.
1: Excited to have you as our guest and excited to talking about what's a pressing topic for us all in the marketing world, something that I'm sure is scaring a lot of marketers right now. There's this notion of the third-party cookie graveyard. Third-party cookies are going away and they're data that we rely on. So first off, what the heck do we do? And how do we avoid having our business next to our cookies in the graveyard?
2: I think there's a lot of confusing information about this topic out there. I don't think that it's always intentionally misleading. I think generally people are confused and it's understandable because it's a complex topic. But, you know, I find that even really experienced marketers, the folks that I admire and kind of see as mentors, even they're, they're confused about this a lot. So what I try to do when I have these conversations is build what I describe as a holistic, actionable understanding of the issue and to approach it in exactly the way that you just described, where what can we do now to prepare for this massive shift going forward with respect to the way data is managed on the web?
1: I guess the headline here, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, Google's announcement that they're deprecating third-party cookies, Firefox and Safari are kind of already going down that path. As the third-party cookie becomes an unreliable, if not deprecated source of data for marketers, what does that mean for the existing data we have and the data collection process When we get what's another 12 months or so down the road and Google pulls the plug.
2: So it's a great point. I think talking about Safari and Firefox is important because they actually phased out support by default in 2017. So when we first set out with Confection, we really thought we were dealing with a forward looking issue. Right. And it turns out that when we look back, it's actually been going on for quite some time. So pretty remarkable from, from that standpoint. Another thing I try to explain is the idea of what a cookie is and what it isn't. So I think that cookies kind of used is what we might call a synecdoche, right? It's like a catch-all for all the different web data gathering mechanisms. So when people say cookie, they might actually mean a pixel, right? Or they might actually mean a script. So I think it's important to realize that the issue is more than just third-party cookies and more than just cookies themselves. And it's really about the way that we move information around on the web. It's about much more than just browser-level data storage and who accesses it.
1: Yeah, I guess we should be saying third-party data, not necessarily just the cookies.
2: I think that's right, because you can also be talking about scripts. And for us, Bruno, my co-founder, the thing that we see most often is, is really broken event tracking. And that's as a result of scripts being blocked. So when people talk about third-party cookie disruptions, more often than not, what they're actually talking about is blocked scripts, and then not having access to data that you yourself did not collect, right? So I think when people say cookies, they generally mean scripts that are blocked.
1: Right. So give me an example, just for clarification sake of what a script is on a third party site. Is that just, I'm putting a piece of code on someone else's site and it's gathering user data from their activities?
2: In terms of disruptions, it could be exactly that. It could also be, which is actually kind of the origin story of Confection, which is, um, you know, before Confection, I ran an agency and one of our customers reached out to us and said, Why are Marketo forms not appearing in Brave? And if you're familiar with Brave, it's a privacy-focused browser that blocks many scripts and third-party cookies by default. And so what was happening is when Marketo was trying to load a form in Brave, it was also bringing in third-party ad scripts from the Adobe ad network. And Brave saw that and said, no, we're not going to do that because when someone submits this form, it's going to go out to this third-party resource. So that's a really concrete example of disruption in addition to the one that that you mentioned that can happen as a result of who has access to a specific kind of information.
1: Okay. So the ability to collect and pass third-party data, not just cookies, not just scripts, that's going away in the near future. It's happened already on Firefox. It's happened already on Safari, but... Google and Chrome are where most of the web's browsing is already happening. So the sort of lion's share of the data that we've been relying on is getting pulled away. Now, when that happens, there's two camps I think marketers are going to be in. One, they're going to be reliant already on first-party data, and they've started collecting their own data, and they're going to be a little bit more aggressive in how they collect first-party data. Or two... They're going to be screwed, right? They're just going to say, oh, we come to the end of the rainbow. We were relying on all this data to run our business and to target our advertisements. And now it's gone. I don't know what to do. Is there a third camp?
2: Well, I do think we're in a reality where if we're not more proactive about building a strategy that embraces privacy first, we are going to find ourselves in a situation where we're just constantly paying rent to search engine companies and social media companies to access their audiences, So when we start thinking about first-party data as capital assets, right, and that's something I talk a lot about as well, how do we do that going forward? And a lot of people, I think, are worried that somehow no information will flow into their CRM, for example. And that's not necessarily true. What we'll be missing is a lot of contextual information around that. So you may get a name and an email address, but you may not have location information, or you may not see certain events in your analytics platform, for example. So I think thinking about this as a a challenge of the contextual information that surrounds first party PII, personally identifying information, is really where you start to see the breakages. So we can start thinking about ways to mitigate that now. Obviously, confection is one solution to that problem where what we've been able to do is generate a lot of that contextual information that would enrich your CRM or allow you to fine tune your ads. So the third path, you know, the middle path, I think, is a robust strategy that involves making sure that the information that you need is being generated in ways that you expect and to endpoints that, that you need, while also paying a certain amount of rent to these larger technology companies, which is unavoidable. And, you know, We buy tons of Google ads, too. So I, in no way do I think that what we're building or going forward, those aren't going to be relevant. I still think they're going to be very relevant. But the necessity of maintaining first-party data, I think, is important because otherwise we start to kind of return back to a mad men model where you're just running ads towards a monolithic audience group. And I think that would be a mistake to do away with the personalization gains that we've seen over the last couple of decades.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's this balance between personalization and privacy that the industry is really struggling with. Uh, let's dive into some of the use cases for third-party data. You mentioned one, which is I have first-party data. Someone has come onto my website and given me their email and I want to go to a third party vendor and find out all of the other information about them so I can make sure that I'm marketing to them appropriately. I have an email address. I want to know company, title, location, what have you. So there's that situation. There's the enrichment situation. Then there's also the sort of outright buying of data, right? I'm going to go to a data vendor who's collected all this, and they're going to pass information into my system where I'm not enriching first-party data. I'm just buying the data outright. Are there other scenarios where third-party data is commonly used?
2: I think those are the two main cases. And I don't think that the data that you buy from a third-party vendor is terribly valuable. In many cases, I don't think it is. So the idea going forward, we need to be very proactive about the first party data that we are collecting, make sure that we do it in a way that people are comfortable with, make sure we do it in a way that's compliant, and then be very sensitive about what we do with it going forward. So in some ways, and this is just me kind of thinking out loud here, you know, in some ways, you can almost imagine everyone having a sort of walled garden of their own, right? And the idea is, you have your own first party data set that you yourself leverage, and maybe you feed that into your programmatic ads yourself. So instead of being reliant on some of these third parties, you're able to use your own data to enrich certain other endpoints that you also control. I like that reality very much because it allows us to check a couple of boxes, the compliance box, the business use case box, and also the personal privacy box. So I like that use case a little bit more.
1: Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. So there's my marketing hat and there's my human being hat. And I will try to wear... Them at different times for the sake of this conversation. Reality, there's a blend here of my interest as a marketer and obviously as a person of the internet. As a marketer, you mentioned, well, third party data probably isn't that valuable. I think that if you can buy third party data, a broad source of data, you can market to it and basically cut the line for self selection. I'm going to go buy a list of 35,000 people that work in the Martech industry, and then I'm going to target them specifically and see who's interested in my content. And once I realize who's interested in my content, then I'm gonna go try to sell them something. I'm using a broad example. You start with the seed data, which inherently is going to be better and more targeted than I'm going to Facebook and I'm just gonna to market to marketers or I'm going onto Google and I'm gonna buy the keyword marketing. So sometimes that third-party data, while it might not be transactional, it provides a filter. So I do see that there's some value in the acquisition of data if it can be targeted. Companies like Zoom Info built a business on this. Then there's the idea that enrichment is going away as well. I'm getting some first-party data, but I don't want to have to ask someone for name, social security number, address, firstborn child. I just want to ask them for their email address and I could figure out who they are for the sake of the user experience. So as we try to balance this sort of seamless integration or the ability to target without actually expressly knowing who we're targeting to, trying to make our business more efficient, what are some of the privacy concerns that everyone is scared of that marketers should say, okay, look, this is actually something that should be happening as opposed to a pain in the butt for my business?
2: I think that there is a real business case to be made for giving people more control over their data. And I think that a lot of times businesses are concerned about when I give over that control, I give people control what happens, right? But one thing that I think is really important is you begin to filter out people who are not as interested as other people, right? And that helps you work a lot more efficiently and a lot more in ways that are going to generate a lot more return for whatever investment you put into your marketing. So I think there are very strong business cases we made for given people, not just because it's you know, the right thing to do, but also because it helps you identify relevant prospects faster and identify the most uh, engaged people uh, in, your, in your audience a lot faster.
1: I'll put on my other hat, a person of the internet, not a marketer hat. Mm-hmm. What problem is the deprecation of the passing of third-party data solving?
2: I think we all like marketing when it's done well, and we all hate marketing when it's not done well. In the sense that when you find something you connect with, whether it's a, it could be a political campaign, it could be a product, it could be an idea in the form of a book, right? When we connect with those things as a result of digital marketing done well, there's a certain magic to it, right? So to lose out on that would be a problem, I think, from a consumer's perspective. From my point of view, the middle ground that we're trying to reach is retaining that magical quality to digital marketing, right? while also giving people better control over what they share and letting them know that what they're sharing when they're sharing it. So that's kind of how we approach that problem. I think in addition to that, it could make certain conversations that you try to have with businesses less effective, right? If there's less contextual information around your record in a CRM, when you call to get customer help, service help or whatever, the person who did not necessarily collect that who's on the team, they might have a hard time solving your issue. So I think that there are a lot of small ways that it could make the processes that we expect from the vendors we work with more challenging going forward.
1: Okay. So again, I said, you know, the balance of privacy and the balance of personalization here, reality is for marketers that we're going to have to find either different data sources or work around not having access to the data that we're used to. You mentioned the third-party cookie graveyard. Hey, third-party cookies and 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 the passing of third-party data are on their deathbed. They're in hospice care. I'll ask again about the solutions to avoiding, you know, lying down in the grave next to your third-party data. How do you keep your business running when the data that you're reliant on is going away?
2: So we're in the early days of this. Google pushed third-party cookie depreciation down the road a bit in Chrome. So that really took the pressure off a lot of people. So we've got a little bit of time to figure it out. Obviously, from our point of view, what we're trying to build is something that allows people to continue to collect the important data that they need, not necessarily third-party data because everything that flows through confection is first-party data. And we don't necessarily... We wouldn't syndicate it out to a third party. So just to be very precise about that. So I think in terms of reliance on DSPs becomes definitely more challenging. I think reliance on certain types of ads becomes very challenging. So I think what we need to do between now and when the full depreciation happens is come up with products and solutions that allow us to use our first party data in ways that we maybe relied on third party data in the past. So the real challenge is collecting enough first party data that you can use like you did third party data going forward. And that should help people become much, much stronger in the long run and also build better relationships with their audiences as a result of not having to rely on third party information.
1: Basically, every web form that you fill out is about to get like five different fields longer because you can't enrich the contact information to understand who the person is that you're actually engaging with. So you have to have them manually input that data. Am I thinking about this the right way?
2: I hate to get lost in the weeds. I would say it depends on the type of form. So if you had a very vanilla HTML form, would not necessarily be a problem. It's the forms that are loaded generally from CRMs that maybe bring a lot of information in with them and send information out to other third parties. Those are the ones you're going to have problems with. So for example, I mentioned Marketo. And I don't necessarily know that the form fields would have to get longer. Certainly from our point of view, if you had Confection installed on your site, it would allow you to collect a lot of information in the background and then submit it to your own first party asset, which is probably a CRM in most cases.
1: How does that work? I'm going to a random website. I fill out a form. I'm going to the MarTech podcast. I'm signing up for the MarTech brief, which is our newsletter. And I give them my email address, maybe my name. How does Confection help the MarTech podcast, the publishers of that newsletter, understand who they're actually engaging with.
2: So there's, again, contextual information around that event in terms of a form being submitted. And that might involve location information based on an IP address. If the IP address is unavailable, there are other kinds of information that we collect. And you know what makes Confection different is we process a lot of information on the server side instead of relying on browser-level data, which has become very fragile and dysfunctional. So that's the main technological difference in what we're trying to do. And as far as the information that was surrounded, we would still be able to grab that information if it was available. And generally, in most cases, it would be there's some emerging cases where it wouldn't. But that's how that would work in terms of grabbing that contextual information without you having to actually enter in, you know, I'm in California or things like that.
1: Okay. So things like location, which can be found on IP address. What are some of the other types of information that you can gather as first party information without the consumer expressly manually typing it into a form?
2: So this is, and this is a brand new initiative. I'm glad to have a chance to chat with you about it today. So we're seeing things emerging going forward where things like IP addresses are perhaps going to be unstable or are unavailable, right? So this is something we're asking ourselves internally now is what does identity resolution look like in the future? You know, as we go forward in time, what, what kinds of signals are we going to have access to? So what confection does is it collects the information it can, and then it makes informed judgments about that information to link certain IDs together and say, this is probably the same person. So we have kind of a probabilistic score that users can customize and say, for me, 50% is good enough. Others like banks, obviously, they're going to need 90% plus. And so going forward, we're asking this question internally right now is, you know, how do we use machine learning and artificial intelligence to begin building these sets of information and then linking these things together, either on the audience level or on the individual user level? So the short answer is, I don't know, but we're in the process of figuring that out now. And I'm hoping in, you know, three to four months, we'll have some very concrete examples of ways we're doing it. I will say at a high level, it'll involve events. And I think the power of events is maybe often overlooked because people want like durable bits of information. But I think event tracking is probably going to become the new currency going forward in terms of identity resolution on the server side. And that's what we're playing around with right now.
1: The confusing thing to me is you're talking about identity resolution. So somebody comes onto the MarTech brief website and fills out our form and we have confections built into it. And you have a sense of, identity based on either the IP address or some sort of bits of information that you can glean from the person filling out that form. And then you know who the person is and what other information you have. Doesn't that make you a third-party data vendor? Like, Aren't you taking information from another source and passing it along to me? Isn't that the definition of third-party data?
2: What I would say is that we're different from traditional third-party vendors because our customer would be you in this case, And we're making sure that information goes to your siloed repository inside Confection. And we actually offer two different options within inside Confection. One is we don't store any personally identifying information inside our system, in which case we would just send it out to an endpoint that you define. So if you just wanted to send it to your CRM, we wouldn't necessarily store anything in our system. It was our job just to make sure that it made it into the endpoint. If we do store it, and some of our customers are interested in having us do it because they offload a lot of compliance issues and say... We have offloaded this to a vendor. It's their responsibility to make sure that this information is collected, stored, and distributed in line with the global privacy laws. So there are two different use cases and different people want different things. I think the other thing is once it hits that endpoint, whether it's your endpoint and your CRM, for example, or our endpoint, there's no data sharing that goes on between accounts. So we're more of a data handler to use GDPR's terms in this case, where it's our job to make sure the information goes from your site to your account and then to whatever endpoint that you want it to.
1: Okay. So it's not like you're collecting a repository of household IDs. That's right. You know, I think of like the live ramps of the world who have identifiers on households of most of the US population. And you can say, I've got one bit of information. If you can match that, you can give me the rest of the information about this identifier, or you can identify who that person is. You're not actually creating the IDs, you're just passing along the information in real time.
2: That's exactly right. And that's what we saw as a real opportunity in the market for something. And again, the label we came up with is data generator. And this is almost like a um, independent auditor in a way of making sure that when information flows from point A to point B or between system A and system B, and again, generally, it would be like a site and a CRM, just use a very concrete example. It's our job to make sure that information gets there. We would never turn around and sell the MarTech podcasts information to another podcast, for example. That's against what we're trying to build culturally and technologically. It's just not what we're set up to do. So our job really is to facilitate first-party relationships between people and their customers and make sure the important information, contextual, PII, et cetera, et cetera, they all wind up where they need to go.
1: All right. It's absolutely a fascinating topic. Hopefully the people that are listening to this don't end up in a graveyard next to their third-party cookies. Right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Quimby Melton, CEO and co-founder of Confection. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Quimby and I are going to discuss why CRMs, DSPs, and automation is only 75, 80% effective. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Quimby, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is OQM, the number four, that's OQM4, or you could visit his company's website, which is Confection.io.